You are listening to the Good Advice Softball Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett, and on this show, you'll learn how to help the softball player in your life sharpen her skills, improve her mindset, and find new confidence through softball. Welcome back to the Good Advice Softball Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. On today's episode, we actually have a great guest. Melanie Rushing will be sharing some of her team culture tips. If you're not familiar with her and her work, she is the founder of The Mental Sweet Spot, runs a great team culture boot camp, and also the uh, she's the co-host of the Coaching the Mental Game of Softball podcast. So definitely check that out. I put links in the description below so you can get in touch with her on Twitter, her websites, and her podcast. So she's gonna share a couple of tips today. We're also gonna cover CrossFit training for softball. Is that a good idea? And are expensive bats actually worth the higher sticker price? All right, so first thing, let's jump into Melanie Rushing's three tips for improving commitment. And this is a big part of of team culture, is improving commitment of each player and coaches uh, to their craft, to the sport, to each other, all that great stuff. So let's jump into Melanie's hey guys, three Melanie tips. Melanie Rushing here, co-founder of Mental Sweet Spot and co-host of the Coaching the Mental Game of Softball podcast. And today I'm here to talk to you about one of the most common questions we get asked all the time. How do I get my girls to be more committed? Let's dive in. It's one of the first mistakes people usually make, not just players, but coaches, parents, people, humans, uh, is we focus so much on our goals that we forget about the why. So one of the first things I want you guys to do to stick with that commitment and make sure that they're bought in for the right reasons is tap into why they're doing this. And it's not just because I love softball. <laughs> that's always the first answer. Okay, but that's a little surfacey. I want you to dig a little deeper. So think about your goals and then imagine you've achieved all of them. It worked out exactly as planned. You're looking back on your career at the season or just the game or even just the end of a practice and you're feeling something. What is that feeling? That is your why. Are you feeling proud? Are you feeling satisfied? As a coach, are you feeling like you helped them? Are you feeling as a parent that you're proud? What are those feelings? That is your why and when you have your goals in mind when you're going from day to day you can always tap back into that feeling and immediately increase your motivation that is how you stay committed even on the tough days another well-intentioned mistake is telling them how they should think act feel be Uh, you should be committed you should be bought in you should be putting in extra what is going on with you (laughs) i know that's what we want for them but it's got to come from them so what i encourage you to do is ask them okay What will it take for you to get those goals, to get that feeling you said you wanted in the last tip? What is it going to take day to day? What's it gonna take in practice, in games? What do you have to do? Who do you have to be? And it's amazing. A lot of times the things they come up with, come up with simple words. I've gotta be uh, bought in. I've got to be motivated. I've got to be positive. The things that they come up with are typically the things you've been saying to them anyway. But when it comes from them, you can use their language to just gently remind them, hey, you said you needed to be committed for this, so let's go take some extra reps. I'm here for you, or if you need some extra help, I'm here. That way, it's coming from them. They're building that culture that 
you're hoping they bring to the team, right? But that's how you get them bought in is let it come from their mouths, not just from you preaching it. All right, the third mistake that we make that I think I'm just now starting to get people on board with is we over me. So the intention is fantastic. Of course, we want to teach players how to be a part of a team and part of something bigger and make small sacrifices for something better. But the problem is when you say we over me, like the we is up here, then it's more important than what I feel, what I think, what I'm contributing. Instead, you flip it to me for we. That way, I'm focused on what I can do, not what my teammate is doing wrong over there or what this person should be doing that they're not. It switches from blame and fault to ownership. All right, what can I do to better my team? And it's also more controllable. So, all right, this is me. This is what I bring. This is my strengths. And this is how I can help my team succeed, help my teammates have fun, have fun together. Can you see how it's more empowering that way? So if you have the me for we mentality, it helps them stay motivated because that's what internal motivation is, right? The all the research from sports psychology, from leadership, from education says the best motivation comes from inside. So that's me for we. All right. So let's let's chat a little bit about Melanie's tips here. She gave some really great insight. And I think my favorite was her first one where she's talking about, you know, why do you play? And this is something that we all as athletes and uh, as, as parents and coaches need to think about because at the end of the day, like she said, when you retire, what do you look back on and, and what did you want to be as a player? What did you want to accomplish and and what really made you smile? What made you proud? What made you excited? Like, what are the things that you missed? I think as a parent or a coach, if you're trying to get your players to work harder, which is what Melanie touched on a ton in her second tip, you know, you have to know what drives people. And for some people, their drive isn't to be, you know, renowned, this big celebrity player. Um, for a lot of people, they just want to be part of a good team. They just want to be in the, in the mix and in the fold and um, with their buddies. And that's the biggest thing for them. They just want to get this boost from being around other people. Some people really want to compete. Um, some players really, they want this, uh, they want to look back and say, like, I was highly respected or I tapped out my potential, whatever it is. And those are the things that really motivate. So everyone's different. And, um, you know, sports change as you get older. This is another really important thing to, to remember. They're not as silly fun like when you're a kid. Like it's not like playing in the backyard as it gets more competitive. And that's where, again, uh, what Melanie touched on the, the why is, is important because as it gets harder and you have to work harder and you start to suffer injuries and really long days at the field, maybe tough coaches, all this stuff, um, it still comes back to why do you do it? And if it becomes a job and if you don't really know, then it's tough to put in the extra work to be as good as you can be. So some really great advice here by Melanie Rushing. I want to thank her again for being on the show. Be sure to check her out. All the links to all of her stuff and she does a great job on the web is in the description link below. So if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or on YouTube, all of her info is there. Highly recommend you check her out. Follow her on Twitter, on Instagram, all that stuff and check out her team culture boot camp which is a great thing for coaches and parents to go through all right in today's 90 second mindset let's talk about crossfit 
So in our last episode, chat a little bit about yoga. Is that a good training method? Today, let's talk about CrossFit. So obviously CrossFit rose to prominence uh, in the last 10 years or so. Maybe it's a little more than that now. And it gained fame because it was very hard, got a lot of people off their couches, got a lot of people uh, lifting weights in a very real way for the first time. You know, a lot of, especially adults, it was either I just kind of jog or I don't really exercise or I go to the gym, I do these machines, I don't really know what I'm doing and it doesn't really work that well. And then suddenly they're thrust in this environment where they're using barbells and, and real weights and free weights and doing a lot of stuff at high intensity and competing with each other in a community. So there's a lot of really good things that came out of CrossFit and it got, again, a lot of people exposed to quote unquote real strength training for the first time. But some of the the cons, and this is coming from me as a strength coach, because this is what I did for the last 10 years, um, the program design isn't very well suited for specific goals. And I think CrossFit would admit that that their goal is to be a generalist that they you know if you watch the crossfit games you have to you know throw 200 pounds over your head then sprint and then you know do 20 pull-ups and you know throw a a ball off a wall Uh, they have a really really wide assortment of tasks and they're trying to find the fittest person on earth which is a very general thing right but as an athlete who specializes in the sport, whether you're a sprinter, whether you're a swimmer, whether you're a softball player, football player, you're not a generalist. And now in the weight room, most athletes will do most of the same exercises. You know, the, I'd say for probably 80% of your workout, you know, a football player is going to do the same stuff as a, as a volleyball player or a softball player or a swimmer because the human body is the human body, right? We need strong back. We need strong glutes. We need strong quads. We need strong hamstrings. Everyone needs those no matter what sport you play. And then the other 20% is typically the sport specific stuff. Like, so for softball, it's more arm care exercises. So shoulder, shoulder stuff like that keeps your throwing arm healthy. There's more core training. There's more rotational core training. There's more explosiveness, stuff like that. And maybe a little less emphasis on some like the, the brute force that you might need in football or other, other sports like that. So those needs get finely tuned. Now, if you do CrossFit, you'll get a lot of the general stuff. Like you'll definitely get stronger. You'll definitely get bigger, but you won't get the sport specific stuff. You're not going to get the rotator cuff strengthening. You might not get the forearm strengthening. You might not get the rotational core training. That's really going to apply more specifically to your bat speed or your throwing speed. You're not going to get the lateral hip um, strengthening that is important to prevent ACL tears in female athletes. So there's lots of different stuff that just isn't part of like the CrossFit methodology. And this isn't to say that CrossFit is bad because it's not. It's just not built for any specific athlete in general. And to be at your best, you ultimately want to spend your finite training time training in the most specific way to what you're going to be doing, right? Like that makes sense. If you're going to be an accountant, you're probably spending more of your time in college doing accounting and learning high level math and statistics and all that stuff. You know, if you want to be an accountant, you're probably not going to spend most of your time doing psychology and studying archaeology and doing all this other general knowledge stuff, which is important and good for being well-rounded, but not necessarily making you great at one specific job. So if softball is really your thing and you're considering doing CrossFit, if it's your first go around with fitness, it might be a good foray, a good intro into it for a year or two. Um, 
and it's certainly not gonna i mean it can be dangerous depending but if you have a good coach and if you're smart about it it can be reasonably safe um, but if you're really trying to be your best, I would recommend against CrossFit and I'd find a good strength coach with a good sports performance, uh, facility where you then can go and get a softball specific workout, which is still going to be extremely challenging, extremely, uh, real lifting, quote unquote. There's not that much different between real strength training that, you know, a high level athlete would do in college and a CrossFit workout in the sense that you're still using really big compound lifts. You're using heavy weights. You're challenging yourself. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff going on that CrossFit didn't invent. CrossFit just sort of had their own package and their own sort of exercises that they sort of choose as part of CrossFit. And they don't really go beyond that that much. That's why, again, you're not going to see softball specific stuff ever in a CrossFit workout. So these are all just some ideas to throw out and something to consider because your training time is yours and you don't get it back. So if you're spending an hour a week or two hours a week or three hours a week or four hours a week on strength training, you should make you're getting the most bang for your buck and you should really consider what type of training method is best for you. All right, it's time for good questions. Our listener Q&A segment. Remember, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, please email a voice recording to hello at danblewitt.com. This is easy to do on your phone through the Voice Memos app on iPhones or any voice recorder app on Android. Links to email me are in the show notes. All right, lastly, are expensive bats worth it? So this is a question... I used to get a bunch because parents would always come into our academy and they'd say, hey, like, I'm, I'm thinking about this bat or this bat. Do you have an opinion? Do you know much about them? So on my other podcast, one of my other podcasts, uh, we had a physics of baseball professor from the University of Illinois named Alan Nathan. He's one of the the um, forefront or the one of the foremost baseball physics researchers in the country. He's been part of creating bat standards. So like BB core in baseball, he was part of uh, creating that standard. And in many, many talks, because Alan and I have been friends for a number of years now, in, in asking him, what are what do these bat standards do? And what's the difference between bats at different price points? Like they all are regulated, right? They can't go above a certain um, exit speed coefficient. So if they're all regulated, what's the difference and i guess the analogy would be here like say all cars were not allowed to go over 60 miles per hour you might ask yourself then well, what's the difference between a toyota and a ferrari if they can both only go 60 miles per hour why would i spend eighty thousand dollars on a ferrari versus twenty thousand dollars on a toyota and that's a very reasonable question and that's kind of how these bats operate and this is not baseball or softball specific it's for all of them they all have a regulatory stamp on them now that says a, a batted ball can only leave this bat at such a high speed. So basically what you're getting when you're paying for a more expensive bat, and this is ex as explained to me, again, from one of the, the world's experts on bat physics and bat construction, is that you're trying to, you're paying for getting closer to being illegal, essentially. And this is probably something you already subconsciously realize that if you spend $400 on a bat, it's going to be closer to exceeding the standard. It's going to be as barely legal as possible. Whereas if you spend a little less money, 
maybe it's not quite as close to that standard whereas a manufacturer it's probably tough to really get about fine-tuned where it's almost illegal but still barely legal that's a tough thing to do because they're going to have to get it tested and certified that it is in fact legal and if they get too close to the line with this with this bat prototype that they developed it's a, a big research risk where they might man we like we put all this money into research and design and now the bats failed and we have to kind of start over and they don't want to do that so in a sense you're paying to get more performance close to that limit so again like maybe the ferrari can go 59.9 miles per hour but your toyota can only go 58 miles per hour now in baseball for example this might be a bigger difference because the ball is hit so much farther and the difference in say say you get one percent better performance from a more expensive bat rather than a cheaper bat well, 1% for a college baseball player might be four feet or five feet. If they can hit a ball 400, 400 feet. Whereas for a softball player, that's only two feet, right? Well, not two feet, but let's say your max is 300 feet, which is a bomb, or your max is 250 feet. You're only getting maybe two to three extra feet of flight if you get 1% extra performance. If that's And that's just an arbitrary number that I just made up. So I think it's right to ask yourself, how much performance am I actually getting for maybe double the price? You know, a $400 bat versus a $200 bat. It's reasonable to ask, but really what you're probably paying for is some fancy technology like, oh, it's got carbon fiber, or it's got a vibration, you know, like when you hit the ball poorly and you, it stings your hands, got a vibration damper. And really you're probably paying for graphics. Um, the prettier bats, the ones that look really, really cool, those are the ones that are more expensive, right? And I think they're smart about putting their best graphic design on the most expensive bats. Cause man, that thing looks cool. Like I can see myself swinging it. You know, you look good, you play good, that kind of stuff. Um, I think you can see the design and all that stuff really increase with the price point. So as a parent, if you're looking to, to spend a little less money, I know it might be hard cause your daughter falls in love with that really expensive pretty nice bat and boys do the same exact thing they want the coolest looking bat um but you're probably not getting much performance increase as you go up because again they are all regulated they can't exceed a certain standard and it still pays for those bat companies to perform pretty well so if you get a 200 bat they still want that bat to perform well for you so it's probably not very far off of the regulation standard so just something to consider. I know for everyone is the cost of youth sports increases, making smart decisions is paramount. So when you're thinking about a really expensive bat, you know, just remember number one, the biggest thing is the operator, not the tool. This goes for everything, you know, as, uh, as I work on YouTube, for example, I have a nice camera, but I don't need a $5,000 camera. And this is what everyone recommends. If you start to look up creators and people in the industry, what kind of microphone do I need? What kind of camera do I need to be good at, at you know, to make good videos? Like everyone says, who's been in the industry long enough says, it's not about the camera, get a good enough camera. And then it's about your creativity. It's about how well you tell the story. It's about how well you use it rather than how expensive your camera is. You can have a great expensive camera and get a poor quality video, poor quality movie because you're just not very good at operating it. And it's the same thing with a, with a softball bat. If you're not there to swing that thing, if you're not picking good pitches to drive, if you're not having good plate discipline, able to bear the ball up, putting in the time in the cage, 
having a more expensive bat doesn't matter. I mean, it's going to be a small increase regardless if you spend a lot and it's really going to come down to operator error. And the last thing I would say is when I visited the Dominican Republic, kids down there as they played against our American team, kids were swinging wood bats most of the, most of the time. And then when they had a metal bat, they were so heavily used that they didn't have any paint left on them. And kids were still smashing balls with these bare aluminum bats that had been hit so many times they didn't have any paint. So when you think about how important is this bat to my daughter's success, just remember, it's probably not that important. The difference between bats is probably very, very small. And so really, um, it's a important question to ask yourself, how much should I invest in a bat? And is this investment worth it? That's all the good advice I've got for today. If you enjoy the show and would like to support me while also helping yourself, enroll today in one of my online softball courses. My She's Got a Cannon throwing courses come with pricing plans for any budget, and my Resolute Athlete Mental Skills course will help your daughter or team build the mindset of a champion. Enroll in any of my courses through the links in the show notes and save 20% with code GOODADVICE just for being a listener. Be sure to subscribe to my weekly email list where you'll get updates on all my new videos and episodes. Nearly 4,000 people get my emails, and you should too. Sign up through the link in the show notes. Lastly, who do you know who can use some good advice? Please share this podcast with a friend, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to my Snap Softball YouTube channel, where you'll find this podcast and hundreds of softball instructional videos. Back when I was a player, I was always thankful for good coaches and good advice. I'm Dan Blewett, and I'll see you next time.